As Matthew said, if uh, you do feel a little bit cold, um, there are a few blankets still at the back there. You can take one of them, and um, if you want to move closer to the person next to you, I'm sure they won't mind because, you know, survival, that's what it's about, isn't it? Survival. And really, it's great that we can meet together. There are Christians throughout the world who are meeting in far worse circumstances than we are this morning. So we can praise God for the fact that we're here. We can thank God for the things that we enjoy. And you know, when you lose like the heat, and when the heat comes back, it's great, isn't it? You really appreciate it. Well, another Christmas has come and another Christmas has gone. Now, John, in his gospel, he reminds us that Jesus is more than just a baby in a manger. He also reminds us that Jesus is more than just a man on the cross. Of course, these things are so important and we do need to celebrate them as we do. But John is very often accused of not telling us the Christmas story, but I believe he does because he goes back and tells us beyond the Christmas story, the reason for the Christmas story, tells us who this baby in the manger is. And the other thing is that we read from the prophet Isaiah. And as Matthew was reading, I was thinking of that old um, song that he used to sing, tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. It is an old, old story. A story of what? Of Jesus and his love. Jesus and his glory. I sometimes sing this to myself. You know, I'm a child, little and helpless. Great words in that song. It's an old... That passage we read was written by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before that baby was born in the manger. And you know, what we're going to see is that it's part of God's word. The Old Testament and the New Testament, they're not like that. They are like that, together. And that's why we need to come to both Old and New Testament. And you know, the relevance to us today, people say, oh, the Bible's old-fashioned. It's not. It's more advanced than all the history books that we've got on our shelves and in our libraries because it tells the story from the beginning to the end. And it's not finished yet. So how can it not be relevant? It's only deemed as not being relevant because it doesn't suit some people's ideas and expectations. So John, in his gospel, listen to this. You'll be familiar with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Bethlehem was not his beginning. How old are that? A lot of people think it was. Oh, it's done with now. We know all about it. We know the Christmas story. Hang on a minute. That was not his beginning. John goes on, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus 
is who he said he was. He is the light of the world, and it's a dark world we live in. John then said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And John said this, because this is what he saw. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus humbled himself in order to serve, keep that word up here this morning, and to save. And then John goes on. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself God is in, the closest relationship with the Father who has made him known. Jesus is God with us. Back to the Christmas story. He'll be known as Emmanuel. He'll be known as God with us. That's one of his titles. Not just a name, it's a title. It's telling us who he is. Now today, today is New Year's Day. New Year's, isn't that great to have New Year's Day on a Sunday? That's really good, isn't it? I, I, I was going to Google it to see when the next one would be on a Sunday. I, I didn't get round to doing it. But maybe you can work it out. Some of you will already know. You know, some people just go, boom, it's on a whatever year. But it's great. It gives everybody an opportunity to reflect on the events of 2022. All the papers will do that. All the media will do that. We can do that on both a worldwide and on a personal level. That's what we do this time of year. We all face 2023 with a mixture of expectations and hopes. On a material level, how high are your expectations for the coming year? How solid are the hopes that you have in what will happen during this future year? I want us this morning to think like Simeon and Anna, the two people we looked at last week. Remember the story? They were old, nearing the end of their lives. They've been waiting to see the Messiah. And they saw the baby Jesus. And we looked at the things that they saw in him, in who he was, just by seeing that baby and by the power of the Holy Spirit showing them who he was. No one is clever enough to just be a Christian. And no one is not clever enough just to become a Christian. It's all about God at work in your life and my life. It's the Holy Spirit. He works in our lives. He opens our hearts to the things that we know and then he takes them and he can use them and he can develop them in us. You don't have to be the wisest person to become a Christian and you don't have to be the humblest and most simple-minded person to become a Christian because it's by the power of God and the power of 
his Holy Spirit. And what do I want you to do if I want you to be like uh, Simeon and Anna? I don't want you to all to suddenly think, oh, I'm old. <laughs> I'm feeling aches and pains. No, what, what I want you to do, I, I want you to set your expectations and your hopes on Jesus. Not just the baby in the manger. Yes, that's who he is. But he's more than that. He's the man on the cross. But he's more than that as well. And because of that, because of the greatness of who he is, we can set our expectations and our hopes on Jesus. As I said, the beginning of 2023, I have to get used to You know what? I have to get used to writing it. The number of times I'm going to write 2-2 or 2 2 2 and I'll go, oh no, it's not. It's 23. It's a time to look back. And I want you to come with me to the passage we read. To a time when God's people moved out of their dark days of slavery. The days they were enslaved by the Babylonians. And they've moved out of those dark days. And they now enter into the freedom. A freedom to be in their own land, to be in Jerusalem, and to enjoy that freedom. Okay? It was for them as if a new day had dawned. And the truth is, it had. Isaiah 61. If you look in your Bible, you'll probably see that's got a heading. <coughs> the heading is the year of the Lord's favor. See, in our Bibles, we have chapter and verse. Now, they're not in the original text. They're to help us navigate our way through the Bible. Because I can just say, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 61 and we're going to read verse 1 to 7. We can find it. That's what it's there for. And some of those little headings that you have over, like the year of the Lord's favor, is telling us what this little bit is about. Psalms are slightly different. Well, some of the headings on the Psalms were put there by the psalmist. That's another story. We can look at that another day. But the background to this passage is what was for these people the year of Jubilee. Now you can read all about that in Leviticus 25, but we have jubilee years, don't we? We've had a few. We usually get a day off and celebrate year of jubilee. It's a biblical thing. It goes back to these days. Every seven years, the Jewish people were to observe a sabbatical year. That's another word we're familiar with. You'll have people saying, I'm having a sabbatical. It means I'm taking time off. I'm going to not do anything. Again, it's biblical. So every seven years, they would have this sabbatical year. And what would happen is they would rest the land. They wouldn't farm it. They, they, they wouldn't prune the plants. But what they would do for that year, they would live off what they needed from what the land had produced. We do it. It's an agricultural thing. 
They do it out in Berskov. You'll go past a field which for a year will lay fallow. They won't touch it. They will rest it. So that then it will then produce more fruit or vegetables the next year. You see what's happening here? Every seven years, you work the land, you prune your trees. You... Then, on the seventh year, you let the land rest and you just eat of the produce. Reminding them of God's provision. That's great, isn't it? Now, the 50th year was to be a jubilee year. Now, let me tell you what will happen on a jubilee year. So, seven years on the seventh year, you let the land rest. Fifty years, and you spend a year, a year of jubilee. Now, listen to this. Not only would the land rest, but all the debts would be cancelled. Sound good? The land would be returned to its original owners. Slaves would be set free, giving everyone a new beginning. On a practical level, this would balance the economy and reduce exploitation. It would protect the poor. It was also an expression of the people's faithfulness to God. And also their responsibility to each other. Isn't that, isn't that what you really want? You know, faithfulness to God. Let him lead and be faithful to each other. That's a jubilee according to the Bible. Isaiah 61. A new beginning. Let me just read a couple of verses from that passage. If you've got your Bible open, you can have a look at it. The Spirit, and listen to the words. Listen carefully to what's being said. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is in me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and released from darkness the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah is writing this. Isaiah is writing what God is saying to him. For here we have Jesus himself speaking. He's speaking about himself, the baby in the manger, before he was the baby in the manger, before he was the man on the cross. He's speaking about himself. These are his words. Isaiah is a great passage. We have what we call the servant passages. It's great to look at those and see them. We have done it before. But this little bit here, we're seeing Jehovah's servant, the servant of Jehovah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. That's God speaking. Now Jesus is going to speak 
the sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his spirit. Okay. The one who brings the good news. Verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 42. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from the prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in the darkness. Isaiah 49 verse 9. To say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. The one who will die in our place. Isaiah 50 verse 4 and verse 8. To verse 8. To know the word that sustains the weary, I offer my back to those who beat me. Therefore, I have sent, set my face as a flint. Remember those words? This is Isaiah through his prophecy, letting God speak, letting Jesus speak. In Isaiah's day, these words would be a special group of words that would bring comfort. Remember I said that they'd just come out of slavery. They had been set free. They were the ones who were afflicted. They were the ones who had suffered the terrible results of the Babylonian exile. And we read words like the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the mourners, and the faint in heart. These are words of Jesus that are recorded in Isaiah. Words to go beyond the days of Isaiah. That's why they're still here. And they went into the days of when Jesus walked this earth. Jesus spoke these very words that we've read this morning. He spoke them in his hometown, Nazareth. He spoke them in the synagogue. And he introduced himself as, remember the words we've just read? He introduced himself as the anointed one. Now, let's go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we're going to look in Luke's Gospel. It's Luke chapter 4. You can turn to it if you want to. But we're just going to briefly look at it. And it's verse 14 through to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee. How? In the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching. Notice he was teaching. Now he said a lot more than what we have here. He was actually explaining things. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Remember we said that? He's perfect in every way. Under the old covenant. He stood up. Now, he stood up and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him. He unrolled it. He found the place where it's written. Now listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Yeah. Just read that. Listen to this. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. The eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We just get that bit. Can you imagine the local boy coming home into the synagogue, all friends and family there, all the religious leaders, and they ask him to read, and they give him a scripture, they give him Isaiah. That would have been on a big scroll. And they give him the scroll, and he read it. We don't know how much he read, but we know he read those verses, and then he stopped reading. Now, when he stopped reading, everybody there would expect him to continue. They would have known this off by heart. And as he stopped, he then rolled it up. He gave it back, and he sat down. Now, this is important because in those days, they did the preaching bit in an opposite way. We sit down and read, and then we stand up to preach. In those days, they sit down to read, stand up to read, and then they sit down to preach. When Jesus sat down, he was going to expound those words to him. He had claimed to be the anointed one, and they knew what he was saying. And now he will explain to them that he is the anointed one, and they didn't like it. They didn't like it. These words that we read in Luke are the same words that we read in Isaiah. When Jesus read the words in the synagogue and he sat down to expand those words because he just claimed to be the Messiah, the anointed one, and they knew that. Jesus was announcing God's year of grace. Isaiah had told his people that the day of grace would come. They were waiting for it. They were waiting for the Messiah. The anointed one would provide blessings for his people, as Isaiah said, as Jesus had just said. He would set his people free. He would bring salvation. He would bring salvation to both Jew and Gentile. The day of grace, the day of God's grace, had arrived. Jesus would proclaim the arrival of that day as he went about the towns and the cities, telling them, that they would see God's day of grace because he was the anointed one. That's what he was bringing. It would completely dawn with his death and resurrection. And the people 
that he was speaking to in the synagogue, the people that he spoke to in his three-year earthly ministry, would see that day. And they would see the curtain in the temple torn from top to bottom, opening up God's day of grace. Now, is the day of salvation. That's what he was saying. The good news will be proclaimed throughout the world, starting with who? Starting with Jesus and then with the Jewish people. That's what it was supposed to be. And the disciples, the apostles, they were Jewish people, Jewish believers. They're the ones who would take the gospel to the rest of the world. And then, when we go through the epistles, they had to learn that the gospel this freedom that had come, this day of grace, was not just for the Jewish people, it was for the whole world, it was for the Gentiles. And so as people got saved and accepted Jesus by the power of the cross, they would go out and take the gospel to the rest of the world, which they're still doing. Exactly as Isaiah said, exactly what Jesus was saying, exactly what the disciples and the apostles did, even when they didn't fully understand it. But once they grasped it, that was it. The gospel, lived by both Jew and Gentile, for both Jew and Gentile. As Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. For he says, in the time of my favor, there we have it. The day of favor. In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Go back to this New Year's Day. Where are our hopes for the future? Our hopes for the future are in Christ. As we sing in the hymn, in Christ alone. This is the baby in the manger. This is the man on the cross. This is the one who was at the beginning of creation. This is the one who will be at the end. The end of creation. You know, we have here in these passages... Words of comfort to those who come to Jesus as guilty sinners, seeking acceptance. And when we do that, we receive the promise. We receive forgiveness. We are set free from the power of sin. Our hope is in Him. He brought it to the poor in spirit, to the broken hearted, to the captives, and to the mourners. We could spend time now going through Matthew 5, that great passage of Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, when all these things are listed there. We've got them in Isaiah. We've got them in the Gospels. We've still got them here today. Go back to Isaiah 62, just for a few moments. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. So proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the gospel. That's the days in which we live. The year of the Lord's favor. It's not just one year. We don't know how many years that will be. We're in now 2023. But this is God's day of grace. This is the point where Jesus closed the book. Why? Because this was the beginning of God's grace. The people in that synagogue knew that that sentence wasn't completed. Why did he close the book? Because he was bringing them salvation. God's day of grace. God's day of favor. We read on in the passage. Did you notice that? What bit did Jesus not say? Where did he stop? On the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. God's day of vengeance. In that synagogue, on that Sabbath day, that wasn't the time for God to reveal that. Not until people understood about God's day of grace. But the fact was still there. The one who was at the birth of creation, who came to earth as a baby, who died as a man, who went back to heaven. The story's not over. Because one day, God's day of grace will come. Just as Jesus rolled up the scroll and put it down, the booth will close. The door will close. On the day of judgment, the one who came as the Savior will return to comfort those who are his, but then to judge those who are not. Jesus came to bring us out of the darkness into the light, to free us from the power of sin. As we live under the care of him, if we've taken him as our saviour, in these difficult days in which we live, in the days we can have the certain hope of spending eternity with him. Back to today. What are our expectations for the coming year? And how solid are our hopes? People will be talking about that. It'll be on the newspapers, it'll be on the television, they'll be always saying this, 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 this. But this following year, this is what we can expect. This is where our hope is. Can you trust them? The important thing is, what are our expectations and our hopes for eternity? That's the question that needs to be asked today. On this, a new beginning, entering a new year. 2023 a time to look back 
with the baby in the manger, the man on the cross. I asked the question, is he my saviour? Have I come to that point? 2023, a time to look forward. And I pray that as we do, we can look forward in the knowledge that we know Jesus as our saviour, that we have him as our shepherd and guide through these difficult days. And that one day, our hope will be fulfilled, that we will be with him in glory. That's a certain hope. That's not a maybe hope. I just want to finish. And I want to read just a little bit of that. Isaiah 61, verse 10 and 11. So much in that passage, in that section. But I just want to leave us with these few words. This, if you know Jesus as your saviour, this is what you have. Isaiah tells us, Jesus tells us, the Bible tells us. But if you don't know Jesus as your saviour, this is what you can have. Verse 10 and 11 of Isaiah 61. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. And arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head with, like a priest. And as a bride adores herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. There's some words to take into the new year with us as we pray. Father, we just thank you again for your word and we lean upon you that you will use these words, your words, and you will speak to us through the power of your spirit. For those of us who know who you are, we know you as our saviour. We ask that you will just comfort us through our times of trouble, that you will help us to be joyful in difficult times as well as good times, and that we might know your presence with us. And our Father, if any here, doesn't know you, that you will open their hearts that they too might know you as their saviour. Amen.